You are now listening to the London International Christian Church Podcast. Testament. You know, it's so amazing what is here, right here in London. You can walk into the British Museum and you can see artifacts from Sennacherib, the king that the angels destroyed 185,000 men in one night. You know, that's more than Hiroshima and Nagasaki. One angel, one night. You know, the Old Testament should build your faith. When you hear about God's glory throughout the Old Testament, when you hear about the sun standing still, my God is awesome. The Bible is designed to build your faith. The Gospel of John teaches us. You read it, you come to faith. Romans 10, 17 says, you read the scriptures, they bring your faith to life. You know, you also have in the British Library... The two of the four most significant manuscripts in putting together the Old and New Testament. Codex Alexandrius and Codex Sinaiticus. These are amazing amazing artifacts from from 350 and 300 B.C. respectively. Isn't that crazy? You can see these things that put the Bible in your lap. It should blow your mind that you can walk across the street here and like literally see the ancient manuscripts responsible for the translation of the Word of God you have in front of you. What an amazing blessing it is to be at the EMC, to be in London, and to even see these things. Amen. Please turn your Bible to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3. This was penned in 66 AD. Starting in verse 14, the Paul the Apostle addresses Timothy and he says, But as for you, continue what you've learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy... You have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through Christ, through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This was written in 66 AD. Timothy was met by Paul... And Acts 16, around 50 AD. Timothy here is estimated to be in his late 30s here. So that means Timothy, in his infancy, if you do the math, that means 30 years ago, before this was written, it's around 36 AD. You with me so far? So the first New Testament book, the book of James, wasn't even written until 45 AD. So the scriptures he's talking about from infancy can only be the Old Testament. We must use the Old Testament. And wasn't it amazing to hear some of the preaching from the Old Testament? Yes. I mean, I was so encouraged by Anthony almost just dissecting Jesus' entry, Matthew 21, into the city. Talking about the Feast of Tabernacles and the significance of saying Hosanna. And all of it from the treasure store of the Old Testament. Yes. Oh. Yesterday I was speaking to Argo and he says, brother, brother, 
if you only look at the New Testament, it's like mono. You, you, you want to hear, hear the word of God in stereo. Right? If we're really going to preach, we got to use the whole Bible. we got to use the whole scriptures. You know, you know, Philip met the Ethiopian eunuch. This is around 34 AD when Philip met the Ethiopian eunuch. So 34 AD. Again, there wasn't any scripture in the New Testament written yet. And what was the guy reading? Isaiah the prophet. And Philip taught him using Isaiah the prophet about Jesus Christ. We have to be a Bible church. Amen? Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2 as we close. The Bible does say it's supposed to be used. Yes. It's useful. Yes. If we're going to be a Bible church, we can't just think to ourselves, well, that's the minister's job. He's got to read the Bible in a year. He's got to teach from the script. He needs to go to the ICCM. He needs to. That's, that's, that's their gig. No, no, no. Every discipling relationship, every Bible talk leader, every disciple needs to know the whole Bible. That's our foundation. Ephesians 2, we will close here, verse 19. On, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles, the New Testament, and the prophets, the Old Testament, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Let's build this house to our God's glory on his word. Amen. Start with me in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2. And keep your mouth quiet while I read. Because we're silent when the Bible speaks. Amen. It says, do not add to what I command you. Do not subtract from it. But keep the commands of the Lord your God that I gave you. You saw with your own eyes what the Lord God did. Verse 4. But all of you who held fast to the Lord your God are still alive today. Why are we silent when the Bible speaks? To stay alive. Verse 6. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to all the nations. Why are we silent when the Bible speaks? To show our wisdom and our understanding to every nation. Verse 7. What other nation is so great? That their God is so near to them the way the Lord our God is near to us. Why are we silent where the Bible speaks? It's to have a great relationship with God. There are so many churches out there that say that they believe in this. But they really don't. This is what makes our movement special. This is the final authority. It's not the ideal. I mean, it is. It, people go, this is, you got to be idealistic here. And, you know, there's different levels of Christianity. And, you know, you got the shepherd and the evangelist and this and this and this and this. No. This is the standard. I so appreciate Kip preaching the, the staff meetings in L.A. Just even destroying the doctrine of the mainline churches of Christ even further. Now, as we think about silent where the Bible speaks, where does it come from? Thomas Campbell, who was a Calvinist at the time, said, encounter to the age of creeds. They had these creeds going on. They're going, if you want to be a Christian, believe in this creed. You got to believe this, 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 this. Why did the creeds come around? Well, because of the Catholic Church. 
And so Thomas Campbell goes, wait, man, we just need to speak where the Bible speaks. And actually, the heart of it was our heart today to be silent where the Bible speaks. I want to add two amendments to be silent where the Bible speaks. Number one, where the Bible speaks, we obey. James chapter one says, don't don't merely listen to the word. And so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Matthew 28. Go into all the nations and teach them to obey. (coughs) We rely on the divine word of God, not the divine word of Michael, not the divine word of Anthony, not the divine word of Paul Sorry, but the divine word of God and we obey it. Second Amendment. Speak what the Bible says. Speak what the Bible says. First Peter chapter 4, verse 11. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one who is speaking the very word of God. Many times we study the Bible with people, and we want to dumb down the scriptures. We want to preach evolution. We want to preach stuff that's not in the Bible. We speak what the Bible says. If it's not in there, it's not good enough. If it is in there, that means it's the divine word of God. What does it come down to? Lives changed. Colby, a brother in our church, a very religious guy. Did, did, did he change because of my divine words or because Michael looks so cool or this or this or this? It was the divine word of God. Renee, who was an atheist. Was it science that changed him? It was the divine word of God that changed him. Yami Bello, who got appointed evangelist today from a Muslim background. His dad owns like this big Muslim facility. Was it somebody's words? Was it somebody's dress? Was it science? Was it this or this? It was the divine Word of God. Where the Bible speaks, shut your mouth. Thank you very much. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. I have the privilege of talking about some of the disciples in discipling relationships. And I love the title because we are a discipling moment. So to be part of God's kingdom is to disciple and to be discipled. Which is exactly what the word of God says in Colossians 1, 28. So that every single disciple and campus, married, dating, engaged disciple should be taught with all wisdom to present everyone fully mature in Christ. And I think God, through Christ, gave us an amazing example. What did Jesus himself teach? What did Christ commands? Jesus went out of his way in order to reach the hearts of men through different parables and examples. Let us go to Matthew 15. Come on, bro. Preach. Come on. 17 to 20. What is it? In verse 17, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then part of the body? 
But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. And these things make a man unclean. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. So that's why we teach the heart. Because it is out of the heart that the bad things come. So how do we teach the heart then? Well, we see a person's heart through their actions, but even more through the words. Like Jesus says, the things that come out of the person's mouth come from the heart. Yeah. And sometimes we say, well, I didn't really mean it to say that. No, 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 no. <laughs> Everything came out exactly yeah. the way it was supposed to come out. Come on, because it came from your heart. Come on, bro. But it means for us that we should really be these close friends, that we listen to each other, so that we know what is happening in the heart of our brothers. And then we know, what is the person talking about? Is it worldly? Is it selfish? What is the sin there? And then we will know what to teach. So the question, are you the kind of friend so that you know how your brothers really are doing? As disciples, we need to go deep. James 3, 16, write it down. It says, for where we have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. And I think it's so easy for us to tell others what to do. You're not smiling, so smile. You're not happy, smile. You know, and then every time the person sees us, they're going, smiling to us all the time, you know, but they can be miserable on the outside, on the inside. So it's not enough for us to deal with our symptoms, we need to get to the root. Like even if you have into gardening, you know, dandelion, yellow flowers, you know, so you, you move the lawn, it's clean, it's nice, and then suddenly it's just, whoop, whoop, they just pop up again. But you think about these things, when you have a flower this size, you understand that the root, root underneath it is just a thought. So, Otherwise, it's just going to continue popping up. And if you don't get the root, it will continue growing. Yeah. So literally, you have to use a special tool so to get not only out the flower, but the root. And so for us, whole thing has to do with selfishness and pride. And as long as we're not getting to the root, we will always be dealing with symptoms, and we will continue to see every evil practice. So let me ask you, how is it with discipling? Have you been cutting corners? Or have you been going deep? Great question. Have you been after the heart to decide the selfishness and pride? Or have you just been going after the symptoms? <coughs> and lastly, what is your attitude when it comes to discipling? Come on, come on. When you heard the word discipling, it's the cost word to you. Yeah. I got this. <laughs> Let's go to Proverbs 17, 19. Come on, bro. Come on, bro. Teach us. Come on, bro. It says, He who loves a quarrel loves sin. He who builds a high gate invites destruction. So, I'm sure we have seen movies of medieval castles and huge walls, most around them, and huge gates. So what do gates do? Well, they stop people from entering. So instead of letting people into our castles, our lives, we get defensive. And we try to fortify our castle in order to make sure that no one got in. So that no one would discover the weaknesses inside of us. And we love quarrel instead of inviting friends in through our gates. And we invite destruction because in this way, we can never be taught to maturity in Christ. But instead, let us invite people into our lives to disciple us. Even during this conference, let's leave our gates open to our friends. And you know how easy it is to go to someone who loves discipling? Just tell me, how can I be better for Christ? Help me, this is what I'm having a hard time with. So, during this EMC, go to at least three disciples who know you. And ask them, what do you see in my life? 
what can I grow in? Three quick practicals to keep in mind in our discipling. First, no challenges over phone or SMS if you're staying in the same area. It just doesn't work. Meet the person face to face. It's personal. Second, in our discipling, let's make it our goal to give three parts encouragement and one part challenge. So we need to be called higher, but let's make sure people live encouraged when we're done with our teaching. Come on, on, bro. And third, let's make sure there is scripture involved. And we should also expect the disciples to go deeper into the scriptures to study out for themselves what they've been taught. In the words of President Reagan to the people of West Berlin, General Secretary Gorbachev, if you seek peace, if you seek prosperity for the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe, if you seek liberalization, come here to this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, open this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Today, as disciples, let us tear down our gates, our walls, so that other men of God could come and teach us to be perfect in Christ. Let's make sure we are teaching the hearts of men to reach the root of selfishness and pride. And let's make the decision to allow discipling. That's what makes us into God's moment. Core conviction number four. Central leadership. You have to appreciate God's humor. Because I'm from France, of course, as you know, with my accent. And in my country, we cut the head of the kings, and we tear up our shirts of human resource directors, if you follow the news. Anyway, so uh, central leadership is uh, my favorite theme, and uh, it's a matter of authority. It's a matter of submission, and it's a matter of faith. So if you struggle somehow with this principle, you need to get up on today. Otherwise, it may cost you salvation. So um, we have we, we organize, uh, you know, as church, and we have one leader per church. Then we have a group of churches, and it's a world sector. And we have one leader per world sector. And then... Uh, all the world sector are from a group, and we have one central leader, which is Kip McKinn. So I'm going to talk about central leadership. I'm referring to the central leader, Kip McKinn, and I'm also referring to European central leader, Michael Williamson. Okay? And in both cases, we need to be submitted and behind the, those incredible brothers that God chose. So, um, one of the scriptures we use, you can just write it down, is number 27, 15 to 18. On, when Moses prays and says, God, find a man who can lead the people. And of course, the answer is Joshua. But uh, some brother could say, you know, it's a, just an example, but I'm still not convinced of the principle. Yeah. Oh yeah, you want to wrestle with the scriptures, man? Okay. Let's go to Genesis 1, where it all began. Because to understand God's will, you have two ways. I know it's a clear command. Love God, love your neighbor, and make disciples. Or it's just a, a, a series of examples, and you need to find out what is the principle behind. And So let's dig in Genesis 1. Don't flip too easy, too quick the, the pages, because it's all already there. Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, let's 
let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along ground. And all the creatures, it's also man. So God commands the man to rule. And we are all men in this room, right? So in essence, and that's a, a side note, okay? That's not the subject, but it's side note. Every man here is a central leader. Of what? Because God commands us to rule over our environment, right? You are the only one to know your physical family. You are the only one to have access to your neighbors. You are the only one to access to your colleagues or classmates. And so every single brother in this room is a central leader of his own ministry. And God commands you to rule over all those people. Amen. That's a side note. Okay. So 27. So God created man on his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Because, you know, we don't understand with the first verse. So he repeats the idea, you are God's image. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in numbers. That means multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Again, God is calling us to rule over, right? So this is very interesting. So God is three beings, right? We just said that. God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Who among those three is the central leader? God, obviously. So when you have three beings, you have a central leader. So if you have three brothers, because we are reflecting God's image, there is one central leader. And even in Ephesians 5, verse 19, be submitted to one another. When there is two, one leads over the other one. That's how God created mankind. And so there needs to be always submission to one another. God is the central leader of everything. Then he gives authority to his son to be the central leader of the church. And then he gives authority to the man to be the central, physical central leader. Still following me, the guys? So, uh, this is the principle that we uh, talk about. And Jesus is the head of the church, Ephesians 5, verse 23, right? And he gives authority to Peter to open the kingdom. So it's not Jesus who opened the kingdom. Peter had the key. So he was the central leader of the day. Then, furthermore, we have James, who is overseeing the conference in Jerusalem. So it's a kind of the central leader of the day. And then at the end, we have Paul, who is the central leader of the churches, and give Timothy the authority to appoint leaders. So you see, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, this pattern of God using Adam, God using Abraham, God using Moses, God using Joshua, God using David, God using all the men, you know, one man to lead all the people. So just to conclude, 
Why do we struggle with, we can struggle with this principle? First of all, we can say, oh, our central leader is American, and we are not. We are European, right? Okay, just, God doesn't have to justify himself. You know, uh, job questioned God, and he had some rebuke. Uh, you can read that on the Bible. But think about the most influential companies in the world. Coca-Cola, McDonald's, Apple, Microsoft, Microsoft, and Facebook. Facebook was created less than 10 years ago and has already evangelized the world. So God is using American culture to create roads and digital um, uh, bridges between countries so we can evangelize the world. And why God, why God has chosen Michael, an African-American, to lead Europe? You know, the minister of Europe. It's strange, you know? Let me tell you that. I will tell you, is the cure for Europe. Is yes. immune yes. to depression the European sin? <laughs> and so we have to be behind him as he's the central leader of Europe. We love you, bro. We want to serve you. You're an incredible man of vision and faith. And you're the chosen one to lead us to evangelize. Europe. Yeah. My last 20 seconds. You know why we struggle, we can struggle with that sometimes, with authority in your lives? It's because we're insecure. We say, okay, I trust my life to my central leader, but what if he sins? Mm. Oh! He has sinned. Well, I'm doomed. I give him his life. He's a sinner. I'm lost. I'm desperate. God. God puts him, and whatever happens, God is still the central leader of our lives, and we to be submitted and respect authority. Amen. Evangelization of the nations in this generation. I got a question for you. Would you allow someone to rob you of your destiny? Then what is your destiny? Turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Come on, bro. Verse 3 says, This is good and places God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge, to a knowledge of the truth. The Bible says this is good. The word good means winsome. It says it pleases God. That means God agrees with whoever agrees with what God wills. This is God's will that all men should be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. What is your will? Do you have the same will as God? I believe you do. That's why you're here. I believe that's why you're a disciple. I believe that's why you share your faith. Because you want to see the world evangelized. But why in this generation though? That's the question we probably have to ask ourselves. You know, when I became a disciple, I asked myself this question. Why did they put the evangelization of the nations in this generation though? It's simply because when you die, when you die you're done. 
when you die, it's done. But when I read my Bible in the book of Acts, it says in Acts 13 verse 36, it says, when David has served the Lord in his generation, he fell asleep. He did not tell me that David sold pancakes. He said, David <laughs> served the Lord. But what does it mean to serve the Lord? During the time of David, the entire known world knew that there is a God and it is a life. In our generation, it's our responsibility to evangelize the world in our generation. We, it's not a good idea. It's a scriptural command. It's God's will for all men to be saved. Jesus said in Matthew 24, he said the good news has to be preached to the whole nation, all the nations, then the end will come. We knew the end he was talking about was the Jewish worship. The temple was destroyed in 70 AD. However, the first century church evangelized the world in their century. The 21st century church will do the same. The question I have for you is, are you going to be part of it? There's a difference between a function and a purpose. The purpose of why I'm a disciple is to glorify God. You know, in Romans 10, Paul talks about faith. It says faith comes from hearing the message. And it goes on. It says, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. He asked the question. It says, how can they preach unless they're sent? It says, they've announced, the gospel is, is, brings good things. He also says, but all did not obey the gospel. But one of the powerful things that he said is, it says this. So, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? But if you read that passage thoroughly, it talks about the whole world has heard yes. the message. Then you go to Colossians that was written around 60 AD. It says this is the message that has come to you. It's bearing fruit and growing all over the world. Then it goes on in verse 23. It talks about it. It says this is the gospel that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. Come on, Yami. The last time I checked, that was in Catholicism. The last time I checked, that was in Calvinism. When I checked it, it wasn't Pentecostalism. It's the message of making disciples of all nations. If they can do it in in the first century, it can be done again. We just need men who are devoted, committed, and passionate about it. You know, I, I, I became a disciple, and people started... Coming at me with different things. Yeah, it's good to preach the gospel. It's good to share your faith. But I ask, if it's good to preach the gospel, share your faith. How urgent are you about the lost souls? Yeah, but we can't do anything but God has to do something. But Jesus says, when I'm lifted up, I'll draw all men to me. And he already did that, right? But in every way, he said, go and make disciples of all nations. The evangelization of the nations in this generation is not a thought. 
It's not a good idea. It's a command from God. Because we, if we truly believe what it says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, now this is the confidence we have before Him. Whatever we ask, whenever we ask anything according to His will, remember His will is for all men to be saved. If we ask anything according to His will, it says this, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, Whatever we ask, which is the evangelization of the nations in this generation. We know that we have it. What we have asked for, we will do it. You know there are only two kinds of people in the world. People will do something and people will talk about what is done. Our generation, we are going to do it and we are going to talk about it. And to God be overdone. We would like to thank you for listening to that episode of the podcast. If you would like video versions of these episodes, whether it's sermon highlights or interviews, feel free to check us out on our website or view them on our YouTube channel. That's londonchurch.org.uk. That's L-O-N-D-O-N-C-H-U-R-C-H.org.uk. And for all other updates and information, whether it's services, events, or devotionals, you can find all that on our website also. Once again, we'd like to thank you for listening and we'll catch you on the next one.